This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's back to school time. What's it like for Zoomers hitting the books this fall? Universities have seen a dramatic enrollment jump with older students pursuing lifelong learning. And shattering the myth about declining health as you age, you can be in the best shape of your life in your 50s and older. We speak to a woman who shares her transformative journey. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Facing protests and a drastic hit to his approval rating, Russian President Vladimir Putin has softened a policy to increase the retirement age for Russians. In a speech to the nation this week, Putin now says the retirement age for women will increase by five years, not the original eight as proposed, to 60 from the current 55. And for men, it'll bump up to 65 from 60. Putin says the increase is justified because of Russia's economy and aging population with historic low birth rates. In making the concession, the Russian leader said, quote, in our country, we treat women in a special caring way. Should doctors stop using the word cancer when diagnosing low-risk forms of the disease? A new study says there's mounting evidence that the C word can increase both the concern about the illness and a desire for more invasive treatments. Researchers at the University of Sydney say dropping the word when diagnosing slow-growing cancers is a better option. But most doctors disagree, like Dr. Isaac Bokoch at Toronto General, who says it's important that doctors have the utmost transparency with patients. But he adds that the message needs to be communicated clearly so patients aren't nervous about possible treatment. Comedian Tim Conway is battling dementia and is said to be unresponsive. For years, he provided laughs for Zoomers on the popular Carol Burnett show, where he played a number of characters, including the hapless dentist who mistakenly injects himself with anesthetic instead of the patient, played by Harvey Korman, who cracked up in almost every scene he shared with Conway. Take a firm hold of the hypodermic needle. Right. There'll be a little bit of pain, and then numbness will set in. Conway had zero experience when he arrived in Hollywood for his first TV role in 1964 on McHale's Navy. He later won a Golden Globe for his performance on The Carol Burnett Show. From Golden Girls to Cover Girls, Australian fashion label Helmut Lang is redefining ageist stereotypes in the fashion industry by hiring a group of elderly women to front its latest campaign. Among the models is 86-year-old Dillis Price, a regular skydiver whose motto is, do what you want and don't be afraid. 
At almost 118, a Bolivian woman is likely the world's oldest person. Julia Flores Colque is lucid and full of life. She loves good cake and singing folk songs to anyone who comes to visit. Julia's ID card says she was born on October 26, 1900 in a mining camp in the Bolivian mountains. Guinness World Records say they haven't received any application for her, but Julia doesn't seem to care. In fact, she's never heard of the records book. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm a 76-and-a-half-year-old retiree. And I'm a student at Ryerson in a program called Act Two for people who are over 50 years old. And once one starts to take some courses, the opportunity is given to actually perform on stage. This is going to be my fourth year. I've performed in some William Shakespeare, which means I had to learn to read it and understand it. The other thing is I've made some friends, some one or two even good friends. So there's a a strong social dimension to this, which I would recommend to anyone who considers taking courses of this kind. That's Michael Truman on the benefits of going back to school as a Zoomer. He's one of thousands of older students heading back to the classroom to take continuing education courses. What to look for and how is the experience different from the kids? I spoke with Dr. Marie Butriani, the dean of Ryerson's Chang School of Continuing Education. We have a 50-plus program with 3,000 members who uh, take courses, take their own types of lecture classes. They have a film club, an acting studio, a singing club, you name it. These 50-plus, and the average age is 70, actually, are very, very active and really add a wonderful flavor to the campus. How are the needs of somebody in that age bracket going back to school different than somebody going to get more certification for their next job or whatnot? Right. Well, it depends, again, why they're coming back. Many adults today, as you know, don't want to retire in the traditional 65 years, and they want to keep going. And so they have retired perhaps from their uh, regular job. They've fulfilled their family obligations, paid for their kids' education, etc. And now they want to go back and maybe do something that they've always dreamed of doing. So landscaping, for example, is a very popular one with our older students. The other is anything to do with technology, learning technology that perhaps they didn't have the opportunity in their first career. And others, simple things like hobbies, gardening, learning about opera. Then there are others that are unfortunately lost their positions and they had to retrain and do something else even though they were in their 50s. They still had obligations and many years of working life left in them. Now so, when it comes to retraining or starting a new career after the age of 50, mm-hmm. a lot of that is, people say, a bit of snake oil. I mean, a lot of the hype is you just retrain, you'll have a new career, but it's not really that simple. You're absolutely correct. You have to keep your eye on the labor market and where the jobs are. And we, as many other institutions, do that for the students and let them know. And it's hard sometimes to let a student know that what they're interested in does not have good job prospects, at least in the next five years. And if they're doing it, they either have to do it because they completely love it but won't get a job, or they have the patience or the wherewithal to wait. Because we're getting older, living longer, uh, and if we're, we're lucky enough to live a great 
deal longer, we will have some sort of disability. It's a high probability. And with the new law coming in federally, as well as the existing law in Ontario coming in full force very soon, there are job opportunities for web accessibility specialists, for example. So I tell students if they have any knack at all with computers or technology, take those types of courses and they will be employed. There's age discrimination. It's much harder to get hired. Employers tell us they just want people that can do the work, that are team players, that can communicate well. And when you think of someone that's 50 plus, um, we've been trained. We've had years and years, decades of experience in developing those skills. In fact, employers tell us it doesn't even matter to them where these skills have been attained as long as they can do the work and have all of what employers call soft skills, although I don't like that term because I think they're, they're too important to be called soft, but communication, teamwork, good spelling, all of that. We actually have an edge as 50 plus, or in my case, 60 plus. We have an edge actually uh, because we, we learned those skills before autocorrect. And the other one, and we're, we're starting this in the fall, is ASL um, interpretation, in other words, sign language. What about a lot of Zoomers? They don't really care about credit for the course. They're not going to graduate. They're there for their interest. How are their educational needs different? If they don't want to take the regular credit course, they can either audit a course or they can join the Life Institute. There are 3,000 members, and they offer their own peer-led study groups and lecture classes in the arts, humanities, sciences, and they're basically lectures. I think it's $87 a year membership. Then you do pay for the courses, but they're, they're very reasonable. They're usually 30 or $40. And we also have the Estelle Craig Act Two Studio. This is what amazes me. I've been to a few plays that have been put on by these groups of 70, 80 plus, and I have trouble remembering what I ate for lunch yesterday, and yet they don't skip a beat. And this is, of course, very good for their cognition, keeping their mind sharp. And what most seniors tell me is that they love the social aspect of coming to school. What tips do you have for people who might be a a little overwhelmed? How do they narrow it down and make sure they get to the right kind of education for them? Don't be in a hurry. It's, it's better to take your time and enjoy what you're studying and take longer to complete what your goals are rather than to be stressed. For seniors, ask a lot of questions. And our younger students love working with seniors because of the wisdom, because of the stories, because of, quite frankly, the literacy that our generation has. And the seniors love working with the younger people for technological reasons. It keeps them young. Okay, I think that says it all. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure always to speak with you. That was Dr. Marie Butriani, the Dean of Ryerson's Chang School of Continuing Education. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, fitness goals after 50. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Faster, Stronger. That's the title of a book that challenges a notion once thought impossible. Still smoking at 49 and leading an inactive lifestyle, the author, a former varsity athlete, set out to restore her body to peak physical condition. Margaret Webb's story serves as an inspiration for Zoomers. I kind of went through a midlife depression and felt that I needed to really give my life a big shake-up. And this crazy idea of running a fastest marathon of my life came into my mind. You used to be an athlete. You were a varsity athlete. 
I've always stayed active through my life. I did play ice hockey in university, but I put on the freshman 15 like so many people did. And it just continued to sort of creep on through my adult life and uh, especially in my 30s and 40s when I sort of started to slow down and take up sports like golf as opposed to running or hard walking. Did you pose the question or the challenge of trying to get as fit as you have ever been in your life after the age of 50? Yeah, you know, even though I've been athletic all my life, I've never really trained seriously. And I realized that, wow, I feel way fitter now than I did as a varsity athlete. Some of the testing I did showed that. What else was going on in your life that prompted you to undertake this? Nothing, uh, you know, huge. I mean, I did a, a national book tour and, you know, there's always a little postpartum depression after that. And I was trying to sort out what I would do next. And my dad sort of had an early decline in his 50s. He suffered from dementia. And I, you know, maybe that was in the back of my mind. It was kind of scary thinking about how things would turn out. And I just had a fierce desire to really have a second act to my career. You know, I've been a journalist all my life, and I really wanted to write fiction and screenplays. And I just thought, you know, wow, if I could start out like I was in my 20s with the fitness of my 20s, but, you know, the experience I have now, wouldn't that be terrific? Some of those were all the factors that were playing in my mind. So I consulted, you know, a lot of top experts in the field from, you know, the science side, the sports psychology side, you know, sports physiologists. I wanted to gather a team around me who could really help me be my best self. You consulted female track stars who were 80 and 90 years old. Where did you find them? (laughs) Well, that's, uh, yeah, exactly. I wanted to see proof that what I was doing was not only possible, but like people were doing it into their 80s and 90s. I did a lot of research in Canada. Canada's really blessed with uh, having a terrific number of athletes who are running half marathons and marathons into their 80s and 90s. They were intense about their training. I mean, they're very serious about it, but they didn't take themselves seriously. It wasn't drudgery for them. They really prized this as a part of their lifestyle that was giving them energy and a lot of fun and camaraderie, a social life, something to strive for. You believe that most of the effects of aging are preventable, right? Well, a great many effects of aging. I mean, we can't pretend it's not happening, but we can certainly stall it. And if we are out of shape, if we are carrying extra weight, we can certainly turn back the clock. B.J. McHugh, who is a world's fastest marathoner in her age group in the 80s, I mean, the beautiful benefit that comes with her lifestyle uh, and her fitness is that she goes hiking in the mountains with her grandchildren. She runs three-generation marathons. They go to Hawaii every year, and her son and her granddaughter run a marathon together. I mean, how amazing is that to give yourself that gift of, of youthfulness? Can you give me an idea of what your training regime was or is like and how many hours a day or a week? (laughs) Well, it varied a little bit, but um, training for a marathon is a huge commitment, and I don't advocate that people do it unless they really want to do it. But what I really focused on during my year was doing strength training so that I could get physically stronger all over my body, especially my core. I took up yoga to keep myself supple. So that I would do that a couple of times a week as well as a, sort of a daily short practice of yoga when I came back from a run. And then as far as running went, I would be running about 90 kilometers a week at my marathon peak of training. So that would be five days a week, at least for an hour a day and sometimes up to three or four. How long did it take to achieve your peak physical condition and how have you maintained it? I had been a runner leading into a few years before I kind of set this super fit year for myself. But I was blown away by just how fast my body responded when I added on the extra training. 
And this is one of the things I really suggest people do if you're embarking on a fitness routine or trying to bump it up. Keep a journal. Keep a diary. Really mark down how much you're lifting or how many push-ups you're able to do because within weeks you will be able to improve that by a considerable percentage. Studies have shown we can get stronger well into our 90s. Finally, what advice, parting words, do you have for people who decide this is the year they want to get really fit after the age of 50? You'll accomplish more than you can ever imagine. Just start doing it. You know, whatever that may be, whether it's walking, running, going to the gym, just start. I think that an hour of physical activity a day, it doesn't have to be super intense. And just gradually up the intensity. The key, I think, after 50 is don't get hurt. Don't get yourself into a situation where you're overdoing it based on the fitness level that you're at. Another thing is surround yourself with experts, you know. This is a major, major life change. It's probably the most important thing you'll do in terms of giving yourself health, vitality, usefulness. So do it right. Okay, Margaret Webb, thanks so much. Well, thanks for uh, talking with me. That was great. That was author and fitness expert Margaret Webb. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up... An iconic Irish rocker who rose to prominence in the mid-60s turned 73. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Walls Turn Sideways, Artists Confront the Justice System. That's the name of a new exhibit at the Houston Contemporary Arts Museum. It's the most comprehensive museum presentation to investigate the criminal justice system in American history. Erotica and What Makes Things Erotic builds on the collections of sexologists Magnus Hirschfeld and Alfred Kinsey, who considered erotica as documents toward a universal human sexual history. This exhibit is at the University of Berlin. The National Museum of Australia is celebrating the 90th anniversary of the Royal Flying Doctor Service, made famous in the 1980s TV series The Flying Doctors. The exhibit explores how transport and communication networks have connected Australians across their vast continent. And the Latvian National Museum of Art is showing 16th and 17th century Dutch and Flemish paintings in a show called Baltic Oaks. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, Van the Man, Van Morrison, celebrated his 73rd birthday. He's one of Ireland's most famous musicians, perhaps best known for his transformative ability to write and sing just about any genre of music, from rock to pop, jazz, Celtic, gospel, and country. He's done it all. The list of other musicians who consider Morrison an influence is lengthy. U2's Bono, Elvis Costello, Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, and Rod Stewart are just a few who have acknowledged Morrison as a major influence. He's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and was knighted for his services to popular music. Right now, we'll hear one of his biggest hits, an iconic song written and recorded in 1967. Here is Brown Eyed Girl. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came. That was Van Morrison with Brown Eyed Girl. Morrison celebrated his 73rd birthday this week. 
that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.